This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, all our Torah Anytime uh, viewers. We are going to do today, Bezat Hashem, the story of Purim. Um, we did a story of Hanukkah a few months back, and it, uh, you know, got a lot of good feedback from it. It's it's funny because people usually never get the basics. People are always learning the advanced stuff when they learn about Purim. Meanwhile, they don't know the actual basic story. And in fact, when I was learning this, um, when I first actually read all the Midrashim on Purim, it was years ago, and I was, and I went through the yeshiva system, and I'm like, I never knew this story, and we've heard this story every single year, but yet I've never heard the story, and most likely you'll never hear this, you'll, you have never heard the story like you'll bizarre from here tonight. So it's going to be, um, not just a story, but it's going to be the story with all the details that you never usually hear. Um, and we'll also, we'll begin, well, the way that it begins, it's going to begin a little bit like in a historical context on, on Purim. So whoever hates history, just bear with me. Um, it's going to be a story, but in the beginning it's going to start off as a, a little bit of, of history. So the the destruction, of, oh, first let's, let's understand, we spoke about this um, in Hanukkah, but let's just clarify, you know, when the story of, of um, when the destructions happen of the temples and when where the story of Hanukkah and Purim uh, fit in that play. So the first was the destruction of the temple. The, the temple was destroyed in the ninth and up in the year uh, 3,338 from creation. It was, um, if you wanted the English date, it was July 16th, 423 BCE. That's when the temple was destroyed. That's when the first temple was destroyed. And after that came the... 423 BCE, before Common Era. First temple? First temple. I thought it was 586. No, 420... What's 586? I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, actually, I could probably... Tell you what's 586. Um, it's a year. That's just beginning. Um, but in any case, while I look for the timeline, the after after the actually I don't have anything 586. After the um, the destruction of the first temple, 70 years later came the rebuilding of the second temple. Between those two time slots is the story of Purim. Then you had, so you have the, the first temple was destroyed. Then you have the, um, the story of Purim. Then you have the building of the second temple. And then after that, you have the, the, the story of Hanukkah. And after that, you have the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash, the second Bet HaMikdash. Clear? Make sense? Okay. So now, the, when the temple was destroyed, there was a, um, there was a prophecy by, Yermi, uh, by, by Jeremiah. And if you want to look it up, it's Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11 and verse 12. And in there, it says that the, the, the exile is going to last for 70 years. The problem was, nowhere, nowhere does it say when the 70 years starts. So this got a lot of confusion. There were, people weren't sure when you actually start counting the 70 years. Do you count it from the year? And we're going to do dates very little. We're just going to start off with dates. You, do you start counting and we're going to do the Jewish dates? From the year 3,319, which is the year that Nebuchadnezzar assumed the throne of, of Babel. Or maybe it's three years later which is the year 3,321 in the year which the first time the 70 years is actually mentioned. Or possibly it's four years after that, which is the year 3,327, which is the first major exile. Or maybe it is 11 years after that, which is the year 3,338, which is the destruction of the temple. So we see over here that variance is, is, is about 20 years. So they weren't sure where, when to start the, the actual counting for, the, for when the actual temple is going to be rebuilt. So this came a lot of confusion. This is going to be important when we come uh, um, to the story. So now, now let's let's look of, of our big players and whoever is listening online in uh, audio. I'm showing up a power whatever. That's on a board. I don't know what it is. So um, a whiteboard. So there are three players in this story in the beginning. There was three, and if you look at it, so you have Babylon, which is Babel. This is the this is the um, it's going to be three countries at play. So you have Babylon, you have Persia, and you have Madai. So. Each of these three originally were separate, uh, separate countries. Now, Babylon, but Nebuchadnezzar was the one who destroyed the temple. After he came in, after he, he, he ruled about maybe 26 years or so, after that he had a son, and then his son had, was Belshazzar. This is the person who we're going to be focusing on a little bit for the history. So at this, at this point, Belshazzar is ruling Babylon. Now, Persia was ruled by somebody by the name of Astyages. So, um, this guy, he had a daughter, and, uh, which is, this is her name, Mandane, I guess you pronounce it. And, um, what happened was she was seduced by one of the advisors, uh, one of the ministers in the, um, in the kingdoms, in one of, of the advisors of the king. And she became pregnant. And the king got really, really upset because of this. And he had this advisor killed. And he t- took his daughter and he threw her into prison. And then when the baby was born, 
he took the baby and he didn't kill the baby, but he put the baby in a mountain to sort of die out of starvation. Somehow, by miraculous, uh, you know, providence of God, a dog appears, and a dog actually somehow nursed this this child until it was it was big enough. Yeah, sounds like in a fairy tale. So Disney might take it. So, yeah. So he's actually nursed by a dog, and that's why his name in in uh, his Persian name was Kush. Kush in the I guess ancient Persia was dog. In uh, uh, in English, it's translated as Cyrus. So Cyrus is uh, someone that's bad. So that's how Cyrus came into being. Now, when Cyrus came, when Cyrus, uh, grew, you know, grew older and he was he was literally living in the forest. He um, his profession was a he was a professional robber, thievery, you know. And he had a nice big clan, and he went and he would murder people and steal people. And he, his his posse grew. He had a big big gang. And when his grandfather, which is the king, um, as the ages heard about this, he sent a whole army to go and kill out the entire the entire army, including his grandson uh, Cyrus. So Cyrus went and he went for they fought a battle. And Cyrus won, like it wasn't even, you know, it was like child's game for him. He actually defeated the entire, the entire army that, that his grandfather sent. Now, it, you know, Cyrus decided, says, listen, I defeated him. He goes to the capital and he wages war on his grandfather and he ended up killing his grandfather and, and taking hold of the throne of, of Persia. So now Cyrus, what was funny about that? <laughs> so, so, this is behind the scene. Yeah, we're, this is the, what is it called, the prequel? We're doing the... Yeah, prequel. Like anything royal is always so dramatic. Politics. There's always politics. Most of the time you don't know it. You think this wasn't politics getting Trump into... You know how hard the Russians have... I'm just kidding. What? What was the question? No questions. Okay. So then you have... Um, so then... So Cyrus at this point in time. So now you have Belshazzar ruling Babylon. Cyrus ruling Persia. Now Madai, there was a guy by the name of Darius. He was ruling... Uh, he was ruling uh, Madai. And he had a daughter. He heard what happened with Cyrus. And he's like, listen, um, you know... Maybe we should make some sort of an alliance together. I think that's a good idea. And Cyrus agreed, and that's when Cyrus went and he married this daughter. So they got married. Out of their union, where this is where Ahasuerus comes by. This is a, who, 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 this is where he comes into play. Now, what happened was before this actually comes into play. So Cyrus and Darius go and they, um, they, they, uh, they sort of make an alliance with their two countries. And they're thinking, listen, since Babylon was the ruling empire, they said, why are we two strong countries got to pay tribute to the ruling empire? We're strong. Let's go and let's go fight against Babylon. So. They went, they put their armies together, and they went to fight against Babylon. However, um, Babel, which is Babylon, defeated them. They had about a thousand Jewish warriors that were warriors that were able to somehow get rid of the, whatever, whatever uh, the army that was that, that Persia and Madai sent. So, um, at this point in time, Belshazzar, you know, defeated his opponents, which was uh, Persia and Madai. And Belshazzar decided that he is going to throw a party. Why? Two reasons he's going to throw a party. Number one is because of his defeat, is because of his the, the war that he just won. Number two, he's also going to throw a party <clears throat> because um, he counted 70 years from when the temple was destroyed. He made a calculation and he said, listen, it came 70 years and the temple wasn't rebuilt. That means that if it wasn't rebuilt at this point in time, it's never going to rebuild and he's going to make a party with that. And he used in this party the, the kilim, the vessels of the Bet HaMikdash. So he actually drank from the, from the Kirim of the Bet HaMikdash and he actually used the Kirim of the Bet HaMikdash. Uh, during this, this uh, party, there was a very famous story, if you, you're familiar with um, the Tanakh, there, that there was, he was getting drunk and he was drinking and the magical hand appeared and with like a pen and wrote on the wall. I wrote on the wall, Mane Mane Takalo Farsin, if I'm not mistaken. So um, he sees this in Hebrew, even though it's in Aramaic, which is their language that the more they spoke, but it was in Hebrew, he didn't understand this. So he calls over Daniel, the prophet Daniel. And he says, tell me what's going on over here? What is this magic words that are on my wall? And he says, you know, this is a sign that God is going to pay you back for, you know, for using the vessels of the temple. And he went and there was a servant that overheard this. And he says, you know what, this other side, you know, Persia and Madai are gaining a lot of power. It's only a matter of time before they take over Babylon. And he says, now I have a sign directly from God that they're going to take it over. He says, if I stick around over here, when they take over, I'm going to be killed. He says, better that I go assassinate the king which is Belshazzar, bring his head to uh, Persia and, and Madai, and then I'll gain, you know, honor, and, and also, you know, I'll, I'll be able to live. So that night, as he's, you know, uh, um, in, late in the night, the slave goes and murders his, um, his master, the king, which is Belshazzar. And um, word came out to, to Cyrus and Darius, and they went over and they captured uh, Babylon as, uh, as well. So while this, all this tumult, this noise was going on in, this, in the palace of the king of Belshazzar, Vashti, wakes up. Vashti was a daughter of Belshazzar. 
So this is how uh, Vashti comes into the play, into the story. So she was the daughter of Belshazzar. She was 12 years old at the time. And um, the, the, they basically took over the entire, the entire palace. And Vashti runs into the father's, to the father's uh, main room and falls down on, on the feet, on, you know, on the feet, you know, sort of bowing down. And when she gets up, she doesn't see her father. She sees Cyrus and Darius. And they're like, who is this girl? And she saw it was a very, very beautiful girl. So they realized that there was a daughter of, of Belshazzar, and they decided that they're going to take her back to, to their um, to their kingdom. So she is speared, and she takes back to goes back to their kingdom. Now Cyrus and Darius both saw what happened if you use the kelim, the vessels of the Bet Hamikdash, and this guy, you know, got killed because of that. They were like, "Listen, it's not worth it to mess around with the Jewish God." And Cyrus uh, and Darius decided that he is going to go, and they're going to allow it to rebuilding the temple. So uh, he actually, you know, very conveniently forgot about that. And uh, years later, what, you know, so, so first it was ruled by Darius and Cyrus. When Darius died, Cyrus was the one who was ruling, he was at this point ruling everything. So when Cyrus was ruling everything, he ordered, the, one of the first things that he ordered was the, ben, the, the temple to be rebuilt. And not only did he order the temple to be rebuilt, but he actually paid the workers. He actually paid the money, sent, sent uh, supplies to Jerusalem so that they could build the temple. Now about three years or so, he died. And uh, when he died, Achashverosh. Uh, um, by the way, Achashverosh was not his name. His his actual. If you go, if you go to Google and you search Achashverosh, it's going to come up something with Megillah stuff. It's his his legal name. Um, if you look at his passport, it would have said Adaxerxes, and that was his his actual name. <laughs> what? What is it? Adaxerxes. Yeah, a very common name nowadays. You see, <laughs> second to most popular name in Persia. No, I'm um, so it's uh, he was the one. Um, so if you want to search him, that's his actual uh, his name. So after we got you with me so far, right? Not too historyish, right? Okay, we're good. So uh, Cyrus dies. Achashverosh comes into power. Now this is where we sort we sort of get into the Purim story. So Achashverosh, he goes and he ends up marrying Vashti. So. The, you know, these two unite. And this is at the third year of his reign, and this is where the story of Purim begins. So, the story of Purim begins um, with this party that Achashverosh uh, threw. So, he actually threw, the, threw it for two reasons. Number one, because he got married to Vashti, so he wanted to make a nice party. Three years later? Yeah, he got, he got married to her. She was 18 at the time. Right, so she was 12 when she was captured. And when she got married, she was 18. So, think of it six years uh, after that. No, but you said like... He, he married her and then... He married her in his third year of reign. Oh, I thought you said... Yeah, yeah. So in his third year of reign, which was, um, when she was 18 years old, he went and he, uh, he married her. So he wanted to throw a big party in honor of, of the celebration of the marriage. Another reason that he wanted to throw this party was because that um, he also counted the 70 years. And he said, listen, I, now I know the real counted. And now I know it didn't come. So if it didn't come now, it's not going to come anymore. And he felt confident enough, and he's gonna and he's gonna throw this party. This is also why it was so bad that the Jewish people actually went to this party. He, you know what he was celebrating? Besides, he was celebrating the temple's not gonna be rebuilt. Everyone's like, party, woo, woo. you know, let's go to let's go party. And they don't know they're celebrating. Well, they knew that's why they weren't they weren't allowed to be there. But we'll soon see about the, uh, about his party. Yeah. Oh, very good. Thank you. I left that one detail. Perfect. Thank you. The Cyrus. So, so. Oh, thank you so much. Perfect. So Cyrus was actually paying. Thank you. This is what happens when I don't look at my notes. Cyrus was was um, was building the Bet Hamikdash, and when Achashverosh came into power, he stopped the building. He was a bad guy from the get-go. He stopped the building right. Uh, you know, he stopped the building. Actually, when he got married, he stopped the building. One of the reasons, actually, two reasons, he stopped the building. Number one, his amazing Eshet Chayel Vashti said, "You know, how dare you? You know." My father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather worked so hard and they slaved so hard to destroy the temple. You're going to go and rebuild it? And then Haman, you know, also the, the great advisor, um, he goes and he says, he says, you know how difficult it is if the Jewish people rebuild Jerusalem? It's so difficult to conquer because the walls are so impenetrable. So he says, it's, if they revolt, you will not be able to overcome them. Better that you don't let them rebuild it. So with pressure that he got from Haman and the pressure that he got from his wife, uh, Vashti, he decided he's going to halt the building of the Bet HaMikdash and he, and he, uh, and he halted it. It didn't finish building. It didn't finish building. Yeah. So it didn't, it didn't come into fruition yet, the, the end of the thing. Okay. So. Um, another reason that, that Achashverosh and, and wanted to throw his, his party was because he wanted to show off his wealth. He wanted to show off his money. Now, why would you do that? So, um, first of all, it is very, very beneficial for a kingdom to have a wealthy ruler. If you have a wealthy ruler, then you know that the guy is not going to be inclined to raise taxes because he needs money because it's an expectation. He's not going to want to raise taxes because he has to go to war because he has sufficiently enough money. So it's always good to have a ruler with that type of, of uh, financial backing. 
Additionally, um, this is also very important for a rabbi, let's say, of a synagogue, of a shul. It is very important for a rabbi to have the full control and power of the shul. If he, every time that he has to make a decision, he has to go look for the board and make sure they give him a thumbs up and that's okay, you can't actually run a shul like that because most of the time the, bo- the board is not so Torah knowledged whatever verbiage <laughs> that I need to use for that. Okay, so um, another reason that he wanted to show off his wealth is it's a better, very, very flattery thing. Imagine you have a friend and your friend comes over to him and be like, listen, I want to tell you how much I make. I want to show you what's in my bank account. You know, that doesn't happen. Why doesn't it happen? Because everyone keeps it very private. But say you have a friend that's so close that is willing to share this information. You say like, wow, you know, like that means you're really close to me. So he wanted to show us as how close he is to the people. He says, look, he says, I'm going to open up my storehouse and you can see how much I'm worth. You can see how much I'm, um, you know, and he, he was worth a lot. You will soon see on uh, how his party was, how excre- you know, crazy his party was, and you'll see how wealthy he really was. This party, you know, so it went for, it was a, it was a 180 day party. It's not like one of these like house parties. Mm-hmm. Imagine plan, you know how when people plan a wedding? They plan a wedding for about six years before they meet the guy, especially the girl side, right? And, and then finally, they go and they, they, you know, then everything goes, goes fast. And they're planning the wedding and it's nights with sleepless nights, figuring out this, figuring out that. And then it goes off. Imagine create, imagine making a wedding 180 days in a row. And Ahasuerus made it that the menu never repeated itself. He never served the same dish twice. So. So you're talking about the king who had the, the king who ruled the world. You know, I'm sure he had resources that uh, most people don't even have today with the internet. So, yeah. so um, additionally, the value, the amount of money that he spent for one day would have been enough for it to finance the whole 180-day banquet if he would have done it regularly. So if you think about it, his the amount of parties that he could have did with could have accomplished and, and completed with just the amount of money that he used for that was 180 times 180, which is. 32,400. That's amount of parties that he would have been able to, which is crazy you think about. You think about those numbers are absurd. And it's not a party for like 500 people, big wedding, 600 people. You're talking about for the entire, the, everybody came in for this party. It was a crazy, crazy party. And uh, so he threw this party for 180 days. After the 180 days was the after party. And the after party was only for his capital. It was a seven-day party. And put it, listen to this, he's seven day party, not so much, he didn't go for 180 days, but he spent as much money as he spent for the 180 days for the seven day party. So you're talking about right now, six, where are we talking about? 32,400 times two, you're talking about 64,800 parties he could have made with the parties that he made. You know how many, you know how many days that is if you divide that by 365? I don't know, the, you know, it, it's cr- years and years of just partying he could have made. And if you think about it, it's not, it's not, it wasn't like a bunch of people, you know, nice sushi, maybe some steaks. It was a party that, that, uh, there was, the, he, he satisfied every desire. And we'll soon see, except for one. He actually, um, uh, the, the, it also says wine. He also, it was very big, it was a lot of wine. It, was, it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't a dry party. It was a very, you know, open bar. Alcohol was all pouring away, and not only that. Every time that you got a, you wanted a drink, you get a you get a cup, and you get to keep the cup. And that cup was made either of gold or silver or jewels. Or it was a very very expensive cup. That those cup, <laughs> those this cup, this cup never was. It wasn't like you know he was like okay, let's go to the factory, go to China, and give me a bunch of like you know ten million of these types of cups. Every single cup was unique. Every single cup was unique. You, and not only that, you drink the amount, the, if let's say you're 20 years old, you got 20 year old wine. You are 70 years old, you got 70 year old wine. And it says his party, the wine was flowing. It wasn't like, okay, wait up, we got it, we're having a new shipment of cups coming in and wine coming in. The, as much as you want it, people who literally come, you come with sacks, be like, you chug it in and throw the thing. You get stock up for a nice, you know, good amount of years, an amount of value of cup and gold that you could get. So, his party was literally off the hook. But, however, it was a very big problem because a Jew is not allowed to go to a Gentile's party. People get this confused sometimes when they think they're allowed to go to, yeah, they, they think they're allowed to go to, to, to a Geisha wedding. Um, it's a very, very big problem. I was giving this, I, I, I said, I mentioned this to somebody. Yeah, yeah, you know what to be there. What, what do you, what, what chakras do you have with there? Again, if it's your partner in this and you have all these certain questions, you're going to speak to your local Orthodox rabbi. As a general, you're not allowed to go. The, um, there was one, the, I have, it's a non-Jewish party. Yeah. And a wedding is a party as well. So there was a, I have a guy that comes to one of my classes and he's not Jewish. Go figure. Yeah. So, um, he comes to my classes. He's like, wait a minute, but he's friends with a lot of Jews. So, you know, they bring him. So, um, he goes and I, I said this when he was, when he was there and he was like, wait a minute. That means that my friends are not allowed to come to my, my wedding. Like, yeah, unless you convert, they're not coming to your wedding or they're not at least allowed to. 
So he's like, that's not fair. I didn't make up the rules. So, um, and, and, uh, it's not worth it to tell him. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Generally, it's not allowed. I'm not allowed, you're not allowed to teach a, a non-Jew Torah unless it's only the Shev of Mitzvah's Ben Enoch. Unless, or, unless he wants to convert. If he wants to convert, he's allowed to learn everything. Maybe he'll decide to convert. Possibly. I really hope so. For the, his certain situation, he needs to convert. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, um, he, um, but if, if let's say there's a non-Jew there, I'm not speaking to him, I'm speaking to everybody else. Happens to be who listens the most? <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the questions. And it uh, doesn't have the answer. Going back to the party. So, um, he was, he, this party, there's five senses, right? We have, uh, well, we'll go through them. Out of the five senses, he only satisfied four. He, for the taste, he had the pleasure of food. Any food that you want, any taste, any desirable pleasure in your palate that you wanted, he had. And then the sight. The sight, he had beautiful hangings, paintings, pictures, curtains. Everything was, 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 um, beautiful for the eyes as well. Then for the smell, he had perfumes, he had gardens, he had roses, he had flowers. Everything was very also nicely smelled. And for the touch, he had beautiful couches, comfortable sofas, and all that he could sit and eat and recline. He satisfied every single pleasure except for sense, except for the sense of hearing. And he didn't want to, he didn't want to do music. Now, why didn't he want to do music? Two reasons. Number one, music, if, if you're, if you're, let's say, giving somebody, um, if let's say you're, you're putting on music, not everybody has the same taste of music. You can't just, you know, close your ears and not hear the music. It'll come in and it'll be very uncomfortable. So he says he can't, he can't satisfy everybody's musical need. He says, if I do, this guy likes classical music, but this guy likes to hear some guy speak really fast and talk about murdering people, um, <laughs> aka rap. Then how am I going to satisfy everybody else? So he says, you know what? Better no music. Then he said, then he said, you know what? Additionally, music is a very, very strong spiritual power. Music, if you ever realize, brings you into a spiritual state. Music is one of the things that Adam Arishon was able to take out from Gan Eden. God, you know, he was able to take out, in fact, he was able to take out one thing, and he took out music. And people don't understand how powerful music is. I, one time I needed to do a class just on music to see, because people go, yeah, Bizarre Shem is one of the, you know, like 10,000 titles that are on the way, but there's other time. But, but music, people, you know, people listen to non-Jewish music, uh, you know, and they, they know, they're like, oh, you know, this is my jam. Uh, you know, and they listen to it, and this is like, this is a, no, classical music is not, is not, it's not so much of a problem. But, uh, everything else is a, is a, is a problem. You listen to all these, all these, um, whatever, when you speak about music, we'll speak about it, but it, it, it lifts you spiritually. It changes you spiritually. And the people don't understand, okay, what's the big deal? I'm driving and putting up the radio. Go to 95.1 if you live in New York. You have the Torah, you know, uh, um, J-Root Radio. You can listen to something Jewish or something, you know, something kosher. You're not allowed to, you know, people don't understand. Listening to non-Jewish music, it, it hurts your soul. You don't feel it. But if you don't listen to it for a long time, you'll feel different. And especially, I have people that send me, um, like, like they, they're, they're becoming Balchuvas, and they send me this music. I have, I have a non-Jew that's in the middle of, that's, that's, uh, um, he's in the conversion process. Big tzaddik. Big, big, uh, you know, he's going to be, he's, gonna, he's destined for great things. He loves Jewish music. He loves it. And he's listening to it. He's like, it makes me so, and, and I'm like, that's the perfect example that I, that I, uh, that I could give. You know, it, it literally lifts you up. And people don't realize you listen to, to all these rappers and all these pop and whatever, you know, the, you know, rock music that, that's out there. It's destroy you. Yeah, that, that's better. I don't know, I don't know. Matis Converted. No. Oh, Nisim, yeah, yeah. He also gives classes, you know that. Have you learned? Have you listened to his rap? No, I haven't. Positive. I, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, talked about Hashem and his rap. I have to like, you know, no, no, no. you know, I, you people think I speak fast. I if, imagine what would happens if I would start rapping. <laughs> yeah. So. So. Um, but um, so, so I'm like, it, it's like you have to, you know, if you want to hear the lyrics in these people, you like literally have to like focus and concentrate. And it's like, you know, it's literally like uh, whatever it is. So um, where are we? Okay. Back to the story of Purim. Okay, so now, um, the, as you can see, one of, the, one of, so one of his, his reasons he didn't want to put music is music brings you up to a spiritual state. And he didn't want the Jews to get into a spiritual state. One of the main focus of his party was to get the Jews to sin. Because if the Jews start sinning, then for sure God's not going to re, uh, you know, re, redeem them with the second temple. So as a secret, like, sort of, he's like, eh, come on, Jews, it's a good, you know, kosher food. They had kosher food. A lot of kosher food. They bought, he bought the best kosher food. Still, you're not allowed to go to, the, to, to that type of party. And uh, one of the problems was is the Jews went to that party. And uh, so, so um, you know, you, when you the party, listen to this detail. The men and women were not mixed. 
talking about party, Jewish party now, the men and women were separate. Not that it wasn't a kosher party by all means, and we'll soon see. What was the problem with that? It was held by a non-Jewish Because it's not Jewish. Uh, the, why are you not allowed to go to a non-Jewish uh, no, party? You said everything was kosher, everything is this. Ah, very good. So that's what everybody else has. So it's still not allowed. Halacha is, you know, you know. First of all, it was it, halachically it's not allowed. Period. And second of all, it's it celebrating. It's it's also it's, it's celebrating the Besides that, it's also um, one of the reasons. For example, you're not supposed to drink wine with a non-Jew is because we're afraid that they they get too friendly and then you end up marrying into them. Assimilation. Um, so yeah, there's there's many. It's a, it's a whole uh, topic uh, um, in itself, but. Um, I think I spoke about it once, a so mixed end. Um, oh, no. Yeah, all right. So you got it here. All right. So, um, okay, so the woman, the woman's side. The woman, there was a mechitzah, but they made it that the woman was on a patio. So the men would be able to look at the woman. But they, and, and if you, you know, um, I, you know, I explained this to the guy, I explained this to the guys. You know, you know, like, you know, you go to the weddings and there are people, these guys, they think they're so inconspicuous. You know, they sit by the bar drinking that same pina colada that they've bought, you know, poured from the thing and they just go like this. You know, on the woman's side. As if nobody realizes what you're doing, buddy. And um, one, of the re- you know, one of the reasons that they, they feel comfortable doing that is people feel comfortable looking at women more in the distance. You know, very, you know, you say something close to a woman, you're going to be like, you know, like that freaky look. You're all, you know, from the distance, okay, whatever. Be able to, so the idea was, let's put them separate. We'll put them in the distance. We'll put the woman in the distance. And the men are going to start drinking. And the temptations are going to start working. And uh, this was the, the idea behind, uh, behind that as well. So... Um, and the the Achashverosh, uh, he did not drink, he did not party until the last day of the seven days of the party. That's when he decided to party. Because until that time, he was an excellent host. He was going around introducing people, giving them like, yeah, pouring drinks, you know, talking, you know, uh, mingling with the crowd. And the last day, he's like, now it's time to party and uh, bring out the good stuff. Actually, I mean, the whole time, the whole party was good stuff. And he goes, and in the seventh day, he decided he's going to party. This seventh day was Shabbat. Not only was Shabbat, it was also, there's opinions that say it was also Yom Kippur. So the Jews did not show up to that party on Shabbat because they were afraid that maybe they will inadvertently desecrate the Shabbat. And in fact, this is a, this is a, uh, a piece of information that I missed. One of the reasons that, uh, first of all, this is two, two pieces of information I missed. Um, I said his, Achashverosh, and no, I'm surprised no one asked me this. I said his real name is Adaxerxes. So why do we call him Achashverosh? Let us call him in the thing. Xerxes. Uh, why is it Achashverosh? So, Achashverosh was a title, you know how like Pharaoh was a title for Egyptian uh, rulers? Achashverosh was a title given to him by the people. Why was it given the title Achashverosh? From the, if you break it up, it's Chashrosh, which literally like making a headache. Achashverosh was a guy that was making everybody have headaches. With all his crazy rules and policies, everyone's going crazy. They were like, oh, you know what, this guy, Achashverosh. So they called him Achashverosh. Now, one of the, one of the reasons that there's a medlash in Esther Abba that says one of the reasons that, that uh, the Hashem allowed that uh, Haman and Achashverosh to, to rule over us like they did is because the Jews, and if you want to look it up, they, they quote this off Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 15 to 21. They said the Jews used to keep their, their stores open um, a little bit past the time that they were allowed on Friday. For Shabbat, so because they did, they didn't honor the Shabbat the way that they were supposed to. They got punished with, um, you know, with with you know the, the well the perm story. So the um, one of the things that Vashti and we'll soon see. So the big party that happened where everything came down was Shabbat party. And one of the reasons why Shabbat the the Vashti came crashing down on Shabbat was because she knew the power of Shabbat. She used to do what she used to have women slaves, and they were Jewish women, and she used to make them work for for her unclothed on Shabbat and uh, unclothed. So one of the reasons was is that she wanted to get this um, this idea of being um, you know this this uh, I don't know promiscuity but like getting used to like like immorality because this way if the woman is immoral the men are slowly to follow the women are the stronghold of the house on this thing if the if the woman decides that she wants to be a little bit immoral the man is like you know follow him following you on a leash so. The, um, the, she knew, so she wanted for them to be immoral, so they should get, should, so they shouldn't get, uh, um, redeemed. And she did this specifically on Shabbat because she knew that if Jews keep Shabbat, no nation of the world is able to subdue, uh, to, to subdue them. And this is one of the things that we know, one of the ways to get Mashiach is if you keep, if the entire Jewish nation will keep Shabbat, it says the entire Jewish nation will get two Shabbat, Mashiach would come immediately. So, um, Vashi knew this and she tried to, to, uh, to, uh, um, desecrate. This is why her downfall came specifically on Shabbat. The, um, can I bother you for, for a seltzer? <laughs> well, we should do Shabbat across America every every Shabbat. But uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons was like uh, thank you. One of the reasons was to sort of like get get Shabbat back into where it's uh, you know get people the unaffiliated back in. Thank you. But also, people need a lot of. Uh... 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. So oh, so now Achashverosh is drinking, right? Seventh day of the party, Shabbat, Yom Kippur. He's he's chugging them down. And what happens if you have a bunch of guys that are secular, non-Jewish Rashaim sitting and drinking wine? What do you think they're going to talk about? They're not going to talk about weather. They're never not talking about anything that's good. So he's talking about women. They said so. Each advisor from his country says the women in my country are the most beautiful. People in the Persian said the Persian women, most beautiful. <laughs> and then the, the Madai women, I don't know what Madai did. Madai says, no, the Madai is the most beautiful. And Akhshvayosh is sending them, he's like laughing. He's like, you guys are crazy. You think the, you think the Persian is the most beautiful? The most beautiful woman is from Babylon. And my proof is Vashti, the queen. She's the most beautiful woman you'll ever see in your entire life. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, big talker. You dress anybody up with a crown and the beautiful perfume and everything. They make anybody look like uh, the most beautiful woman. So he says, oh, yeah, I'll show you. And he gave an order, bring me Vashti without any clothes. Bring her in. Um, so they send this message to Vashti. And they come to the queen and says, uh, you know, your dear husband requests your presence, uh, but leave the clothes behind. And uh, she's like, and she's like, uh, come again? And he's like, you know, come. No clothes. Just, just let's go. And she's like, and, and she starts getting nervous. She's like, what, do you, what, what does that mean? And one of the problems that she was getting nervous is she didn't have so much confidence in her look. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm reading from the Midoshim. What? Wow. So, uh, so then Achashverosh went. What? No, no, she couldn't care about that. Wow. So um, then, yeah, then he, then she, she was nervous also that you know um, she knew that Achashverosh was very shallow. And if she goes and appears in front of everybody like this, and somebody's going to point out a flaw, then she's going to lose the love of her husband. So Achashverosh sends her back and says, listen, there's nothing you need to worry about. I think you're beautiful. I don't care what anybody else says. So then she sends back a response, a very strong response. He says, you know, how do you, he says, if you would have been in my father, Belshazzar's household, you wouldn't have been even good enough to be the stable boy, to wash the horses. You wouldn't have been good enough to clean out the stables. So, 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 um, from all the Midoshim. No, but like, how do we know what transpired between them? Oh, I, this was common. Uh, this was uh, th- this was messengers going back and forth. This wasn't. The, it wasn't like a. It was. The whole city heard about it. I don't know about the whole city, but it, it was public knowledge, and and most of this was was public knowledge. Listen, he is going. He he's not sitting in private and sending a messenger. He's sitting in front of all his buddies, all his friends, and he's like, "Bring me the queen without clothes." You know, people are not going to be like, "What is it?" You know, like, <laughs> sort of like you know when the squirrel is eating a nut, and all of a sudden it's like. Huh? Yeah. Picture that. What's everybody's doing? So, so um, he goes and and um, she sends she sends and now she goes she she takes she takes the knife and now twists it. She says she says if you can't hold your liquor, stop drinking. My father Belshazzar could have drank ten times your amount and never would have gave such an order to send his wife without clothes. What are you an idiotic thing? So, um, Shalom Bites one one right is starting to to happen and he goes and they send this back to to Achashverosh gets really upset with this. He gets really angry. And he's like, he says, tell the queen if she does come now, she's getting, she, she know, she's going to get killed. She's going to get, uh, she's going to get uh, um, uh, murdered, killed, whatever. So um, she goes, she sends it back. It's a big uh, dialogue. So she sends it back. She says, nobody other than the king has seen my royal body. He says, You're, he says don't be a fool. If you start get, showing everybody my body, then what happens if there's going to be another advisor, a big uh, ruler, that's going to, you know, find a liking towards me. He's going to want to assassinate you and want to, you know, take me for himself. So he says, um, she, he sends back, nonsense, I'm the strongest ruler, come. So she says, fine, fine. You know, and this is going back and forth with the messenger. And she says, fine, um, I'll come, but let me come with a veal. Don't let me be embarrassed and come out you know, without anything. And he's like, he's like, you're not coming with no veal, and you're coming without, without anything. And she's like, fine. You know, she's negotiating now. She says, I'll come. Without a veal, but don't let me wear the crown. It's so humiliating. Just a crown I have to wear and nothing else. So he says, no, you're going to come without a veal and with the crown. Otherwise, people are going to say, yeah, you just sent some regular slave woman inside. So she decides that, uh, you know, she's ready to give in. She's ready to go go with the thing. She says it's not worth dying for, and she's going to go uh, with the plan, with his uh, with his uh, crazy request. And uh, she takes one look at her reflection before um, it's time for to present herself, and she sees this hideous rash came out all over her body. And she was living it. And then she turns around, and there was a little, like, a uh, polyp that, that sort of looked like a tail that came out at the back. And, and she's like, she's like, it ain't gonna happen. Um, and she, she sends back another message, and she's like, listen, she says, I'll gladly do it. I understand how important it is to you, but what's the point of doing it today? The, the Jews are not even in the party today. It's Yom Kippur, it's Shabbat, they're not here. Let's do it tomorrow. So we can maybe till tomorrow she'll put some lotion creams, whatever she'll, uh, she'll do, she'll be able to cover up, and then she'll be able to go in like that. So she says, they're not, they're not here today. Let's push it off till tomorrow. 
this was the last, the last straw, and the king said, you know, enough. He banged down, in, you know, on his staff, and he called, you know, advisor huddle. They're like, what, you know, so he, the first people that he came to, he's like, this is not gonna stand. You know, okay, this is chutzpah already. How many times do I have to tell? And so, um, he goes and he, um, and he calls, he called, the first people that he called over was his Jewish advisors, Jewish sages. And he says, uh, listen, what should I do? And they're like, this is a lose-lose situation for us. If we tell him to kill her, then he's gonna say, you want me to kill my wife? So go If we say don't kill her, he's gonna be like, you don't think she deserved to be killed because of that? You know, it's a lose-lose situation. So they tried to get out of it. And they said, listen, we've been in exile for many years. We've been under different rulers. Our minds are not settled. Better to take advisors that have been in the land for many time and their, their thought process is clear and settled. Better to take them and don't take us. So Akashrao says, you know what? That's smart. Um, and you know, I will. So he goes, and he goes from the nation of Ammon and Moab. And he goes over to them. And he says, what should I do? Now, if you read the Megillah, one of his advisors' name was Memuchan. Memuchan was none other, according to many opinions, it was Haman himself. Haman was, a, was Memuchan. And the way that it, that it would work is, the, let's say you had seven advisors. The least advisor spoke first, and then you went up in, uh, in level so that the, if you have the highest advisor say something first, everyone else is just going to you know, agree with what he says. So he started with, and at this point in time, Memuchan, which is Haman, was the, was the bottom of the, of the rung. So... He goes and, and, uh, they ask, they ask him, um, what's the, you know, what should we do? And, um, Khan was, was very eager to get rid of the queen because the astrologers told him and they said that, um, you're going to get killed by the, the, the king's wife. The queen is going to point a finger at you and you're going to get killed. So he thought it was Vashti. He didn't realize that later it's going to be Estelle. That's what the astrologers told him. So he says, you know what? Let's get this, this, Mahshafa, uh, this witch out of the, out of the, the picture. And then we'll put in, he want, his plan was, was to put, advisor? yeah, yeah, Haman. Haman was his advisor. Um, he's, he's the next big character. Um, so, um, he, what Haman wanted to do is get rid of Vashi and somehow squeeze in his daughter as queen. He, that's what he wanted to do. He says if his daughter is queen, she's not gonna point finger and kill him. So he's trying to avoid that. So he goes over and he says, he's like the chutzpah that this queen had. How dare you, you know, you, you can't, you can't have her, you can't have her live. She said she disrespected you in your own house. And not only that, you heard what you said about you being a stable boy? And he's like, you know, you know, psyching it up. And he says, furthermore, he says, the whole world is going to go and they're going to listen. And they're going to hear what just happened. They're going to see that this king cannot even control his own household. He's going to be able to control the entire world, the entire kingdom. He's not going to be able to do that. You, got, you can't wait to kill her. You've got to kill her right now. Don't wait. And, um, and he says, and he says, even, even if you're gonna say, listen, you know, I did ask her, you know, a crazy request. I asked her, because he, when he presented this case to his advisors, he did, he presented in a way that he wanted Vashi to live. He said, he kept on saying, he's like, listen, my, my wife, my dear wife, the queen, look what she did. He kept on like throwing in like queen and wife and love, you know, all these like things. But, you know, Haman had wanted to do nothing of it. And he says, no. You are going to have to kill her, you have to kill her now. Because even though you did ask her a crazy request to come in, you know, without any clothing on, but you know how stories get distorted. At the end it's gonna be, you know, when it's gonna get to a faraway land, they're gonna say like, oh yeah, uh, you heard about his wife, he asked his wife to come and she said no, and she wouldn't even listen to him. You think we don't need to pay taxes? We don't need to pay taxes. She says your entire kingdom is gonna fall apart, you gotta kill her, you gotta kill her now. So, um, and then he goes on, uh, Haman, and he says, furthermore, you have to make a, a proclamation, you have to make a decree. Then you have to send to an entire kingdom that if a man, if a woman does not listen to her husband, death penalty. A woman has to, some Persians still live by this rule um, to this day. Um, but generally, you know, it's got not only decreed. So he said, he said, send this rule to everybody. And um, he uh, and then he goes and he says another decree. Nobody can enter the king's uh, courtyard in, in the inner kingdom, uh, king's uh, chamber, unless they get specific permission. One of the reasons that he did was is he didn't want to order this decree and then Vashti will come in and try to beg him and, you know, with her ugly eyes, she will be able to soften them up and then, you know, she, he won't get murdered and then she's going to be like, so, who was the one who wanted to be killed? And he's going to be like, well, it's Haman. And then his, so he wanted to try to avoid that whole interaction. He says, nobody allowed to go inside of your room anymore. Only if they get, so he had everything planned out. So, um, you know, uh, Achashverosh was, was not happy with the device, but he saw that it was correct. And inside, he, he started, you know, getting some little bit of hatred for Haman. It's like he's making, but he's right. So, um, he went and he had Vashti murdered that same night. He, uh, she died through, uh, she was burnt alive. But he was the first one to give the Etzah. So, what about everyone else? The I guess he was convincing enough, and the, 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 the Midashim that I read, I didn't, I, I haven't read what the other one said, but the majority was, yeah. And, and I guess he was convincing enough, uh, that it was able to, um, you know, go through it. Okay, so. Why was she friend? Ask Akash I don't know. He was drunk at the time. I don't know. Maybe he thought it was cool. I don't know. Possibly, possibly was. 
I can't think of what would be the reason, but it's, it's very likely. Maybe because she embarrassed people. You know, you could you do many. Okay. Now, one of the things that when he sent out this law that every, every woman has to obey her husband, you know, it, it worked out very well for the Jews. Because now the Jews were like, um, it, when, you know, about a year or so later when the proclamation came out that all the Jews are going to get killed on the 13th of Adam, they were all like, you know, all the people in the entire kingdom were like, is this like one of his other crazy rules? Like, you know, this king just sent out a rule. Nobody's going to go and give up his wife and have her murdered because, you know, people generally like their wife. So he's uh, generally. Um, so he he so he said. So people were like, okay, what, we can't really trust what comes out of this king's mouth. You know, so it comes with like crazy, crazy decrees. So they said when the, the decree came out to kill all the Jews, they were like, okay, is this the same type of decree for like you know killing your your wife? So because of that, it sort of worked for the Jews, and it didn't actually go and uh, they didn't actually go and kill them right away. Now. So this has all happened in the night uh, of him being drunk. The next morning, he wakes up with a strong hangover, and he's like, he's like, you know, he's like, bring me Vashti. And his advisors are sitting over there, and they're like, uh, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? And they're like, you know, tell Vashti to come in. And they're like, we can't. He's like, what do you mean? Why can't you? So he's like, uh, you don't remember what happened last night? It's like, dude, you don't remember what you did last night? And they were like, what did I do last night? And he was like, um, he's like, you know, she, she was, she was murdered. She was killed. He's like, she was what? And he was like, it was your order. And then it's like slowly, you know, started getting back to him. And he's like, and he got, and he got, and he's like, what? I can't believe it. And this happened. He got really upset at his advisors. At this point in time also, he decided that his advisors were no good to him. He decided, and he took his advisors and he, he, there's two opinions. Number one is possible that he actually murdered them, except for Haman. And another opinion is that he, um, and he, they, that he banished them from the kingdom. One of the reasons why he didn't, he didn't just kill Haman is that he wanted Haman to suffer. He had a deep hatred inside for him. At inside it was brewing. He says, it's not enough just to get him. He's the one who caused me all this pain. I'm going to cause him the pain back. But how is he going to do that? I'm going to raise him up. Because the more that you're raised, the stronger you fall. So he goes and, and uh, time goes on. And he's, you know, he's was very angry. And that anger later turns into depression. And then he's all like, Vashti this, Vashti that, Vashti love purple, Vashti love this, Vashti love roses. Everything was Vashti. And he's, his, uh, don't feel bad for him. So, um, <laughs> so he's... Uh, yeah. So, he what the the advisor his new advisors were young were young men who are you know, obviously very smart and he decided to get the, he figured listen the young boys the young men they they have more of the king's um, intention and and you know will in their heart they don't have all these other you know plans that these old fogies have let's yeah, you know and he started so uh, eventually the, the, his advisor told him listen he says it's not good for you it says it's not good for they weren't Jewish he says it's not good for you to be it's not good for you to be alone go get married time for you to find another queen so. Um, they decided that there's going to be four criteria to, to choosing your, your, your queen. So number one, the girls have to be virgins. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not befitting a king to be with a woman that was with another man. That's number one. Number two, she says the girl has to be pleasing to the king. You know, there's some women that are, you know, pleasing to certain men, but no, they're not to others. This woman has to be specifically pleasing to the king. Number three is that these girls have to be taken against their will. One of the reasons that he wanted to be taken against their will is that this way they won't be able to brag about the home. You know, the problem that they had with Vashti was, you know, that she, she was always bragging about where she came from. So he says, take them against the will. And the fourth thing is that they have to come without any makeup. Natural beauty. We've got to judge them with their natural beauty, and then we'll, we'll uh, deal with it from there. So um, they, that was the plan. The plan was that he ruled at this, at this point in time 127 provinces. And uh, the way that he decided is going to be one special lucky girl from each province. That she's going to come, and they're going to have this uh, bachelor, you know, um, uh, whatever it's called. Um, thing, whatever, yeah. So... He, um, he, he, but the way that he did this is he didn't mention this to everybody yet in the beginning. They, they did this very smart. At first, what they did was that they sent these, these, uh, advisors, these, like, uh, missionaries, if you may, to all these 127 provinces to scout out the, scout out the crop. See what we, see what we have dealing with. And see who is really pretty and who is not. Because once you have everybody, once it comes out, everyone's gonna literally throw their kids in front of the, you know, they're like, my child is the most beautiful woman, you know, in the entire world, you know, so he said, let's scout them out. So they sent, they sent, uh, these advisors to 127 provinces, and they took notes, and they said, okay, this girl is, is you know, and they, and they started making a, uh, contest without anybody knowing that it was a contest. And, um, after that, they all came back to the capital, and then they sent out a second group, and that second group was armed with the list of the first group. And they went and they started getting um, the most beautiful woman of each province back to the capital. So the, um, we're going to pause the story over here and we're gonna, now we're going to focus a little bit about Mordechai and Estelle. Mordechai <coughs> was, um, he comes from the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin. And one of the reasons that the salvation of Purim comes through him is because Benjamin was the only tribe that wasn't involved with selling of Yosef. So 
and, and Mordechai was, he raised Estelle. Estelle was orphaned at a very young age. Um, possibly we'll speak about this if we have time about the, this, you know, what happened to her. We don't have the time for it today, but hopefully, you know, after we finish the story, maybe we'll go back and go into details. The, um, he, uh, so he, he raised Estelle. And Estelle, her name was not actually Estelle, uh, her name was Hadassah, uh, Myrtle. And um, also because she had a deep olive complexion. That was her, her color. And um, so she, she went and, and um, you know, when, when everybody was, when everybody heard this, this proclamation, that this decree that the king is bringing one lucky girl from every province to be the possible queen, everybody was literally, you know, bedazzling their, their, their daughters and throwing them out. And um, Estelle was the opposite. She didn't want to go out. She kept on, you know, she was hiding, she was modest, she had no interest in, in being pushed into this. But her beauty, she was extremely, extremely beautiful, and her beauty was already known way beforehand. People already knew in the, you know, in the shoe shop, you know, they, they heard, they heard about Estelle. So, they, um, they, they, you know, she, she got drafted in, in, uh, you know, into the, you know, into the draft, I guess you could call it. So, the, um, the, one of the things, first of all, the, the person that was in charge of all the women was Haggai. Haggai was, uh, um, one of the reasons that he was in charge is he was castrated, so he didn't really have a, um, you know, that's the reason that he didn't have the, you know, the, any temptation, if you may. So, he goes and um, and every single girl gets it's it's like you you get whatever you want. He wanted the king wanted the girls to have a fabulous time, an amazing time because there's one of the reasons that he wanted to do that is because only one girl gets to stay, everybody else gets to go home, and they, he wants to give uh, that they give everybody should give you know the people that they come the her countrymen a good report about the king. You know like yeah we didn't make it but oh man you know this guy is amazing you know he's so nice yada yada yada. So um, what Estelle did is how did Estelle keep kosher? She went and she told them, she's like, I'm a vegetarian. I could only eat, um, you know, vegetarian uh, foods. So this took her the problem of, of meat and anything else. And then she asked for seven slaves. Seven slaves, and she said one slave each day. This way, on Shabbat, you know, the, you know, if, if let's say she, she was, she kept Shabbat. And if she would have had the, sla- the, the regular slaves all the time, she would have been like, okay, why is she doing something different on Shabbat? They would have put the two and two together and say, oh, she must be Jewish. And Mordechai told her, no one can know where you came from and, and what's your nationality. So she kept it a secret. You know how long she kept it a secret for? Nine long years. Oh. Ahasuerus did not know about, about where she came from. And, um, so she is, um, so, so, so every single day was a different girl. So the girl that came on Shabbat thought, okay, this is how she probably goes, you know, some, some, you know, Mishigah, some, uh, you know, craziness of the aristocrat, that this is how they deal. So, um, this way she was able to keep Shabbat without anybody knowing. So, because nobody would realize that she did anything different, because she was always with her slave that was only for Shabbat. So the slave of Shabbat would not, re- would not see that it was anything different than anything in the week, because she never saw her during the week. So, um, the, while she was there, and uh, the contest is still um, is still brewing, Mordechai kept on um, walking past by the courtyard just to see what's going on with Estelle. He didn't actually ask about Estelle because then they will put the two and two together, and he, they didn't want that. So Mordechai just casually strolled through the courtyards and tried to see what's going on with Estelle. Now, when the girls got all got back to the capital, there was a 12-month holding period that Dachshverosh made. Number one, he wanted to make sure that their menstrual cycles were normal for certain whatever reasons that he wanted. And secondly, these are girls that are coming from far off lands. He wants to know, they, they, they literally put them in quarantine to see if they harbor any diseases. Some diseases don't manifest themselves until three months you know, in advance. So he said, let's keep them. You know, the king wants none of that, uh, that stuff. So they were kept quarantined for, uh, for a full year. And during that time, they were pampered with like oils and, and you know, they, they were, you know, like a beautification uh, process. So the... Um, the top candidate. Yeah, the top. So, um, you know, and, and every... You know, Estelle was not only beautiful, you know, in the physical appearance, her midot, her personality was amazing also. And Ahasuerus saw this. She looked, she spoke to everybody like they were part of her family. Like, you know, ah, you know, she was so humble down to earth. And he, he was, you know, he, he was like, listen, my last wife, you know, she was a little bit over the top. You know, I'm in for, for something. You know, he was very attracted to that. And then he was like, you know, you have, um, what is it saying? You have girls that uh, from far they're very attractive, but from close they're far from attractive. So he says Estelle was attractive from far and from close, but she had the full package on every uh, single uh, level. So um, <clears throat> the king now, you know, saw right away that you know he, there was a connection brewing between him and Estelle, at least just from his side. And um, and and he, but he realized that. Listen, I'm not going to jump the gun. Last time I jumped the gun, I got to take everything in a process slowly. And in fact, um, Haggai. When he saw Estelle the first time, he already told his advisor, he says, listen, this is going to be the next queen. You know, it's like sometimes you know. He's like, 
It's like he knew already that this is you know she's going to make it all the way, and every time like she you know when she's going to you know they they had uh, a meetings with the kings you know. I don't know, they just took strolls in the park, whatever they did, and got to know the, you know, the, the potential queen candidate, and, um, so they got to use whatever beautification process they wanted. Um, so, when, when Haggai came to Esther, when her turn, she's like, okay, so what do you want? I don't need anything. Yeah. Be like, oh, come on, you know, please, just take something. He's like, she's like, no, no, I, I don't want anything. And he's like, listen, you gotta take something, or the king's gonna have me killed if, you know, if I'm sending in a girl without any makeup, anything like that. But this just shows how much she didn't even want to be there. She was the only, and the king knew that. The king knew that she didn't want it. I don't know if he thought she's playing hard to get or whatever it is, but she, the king knew that this was the situation. So, the, um, after going through the entire, you know, 127 girls, he made a decree, he, Paskin, he's like, this is gonna be the one, Esther won the candidate. Right? She is the one who became the queen. And they had a party. Uh, but this time, he goes over to the king, wants to make another big party. And Esther said, no, 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 no need for that. No need for the big party. You know what happened last time to the party. Yeah, let's not do any, let's not do any party. Let's say, send, you know, make a small party, send, send gifts to the people so they could celebrate it in their house. So the king was, was, found this very, very, um, I don't know, attractive. He, he liked that way that it sounds. He sees like, you know, this, humble. this girl, yeah, this is a very humble girl, had his head on her shoulders. And, um, but one of the reasons that he wanted to have a party is he wanted Estel to start drinking because he wanted to know where she's from. He keeps on asking her. Imagine, imagine throughout this entire time, a king, imagine you're dating a guy or, or a guy's dating a girl. And they're not telling you where they're from and what's their nationality. Yeah, Jewish people are tardy because you have to be Jewish. But imagine you're, you know, like, and like, I'm not, and to a king nonetheless. Like, this could be who knows what. The king, and he, somehow, God made it that it happened. They got married without him knowing it. But it still bothered. It still bothered Ahasuerus. And he wanted to know. But they were from the same city, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Mordechai was. was from Shushan, but he was exiled to Shushan. He, he was he was originally from um, Israel. That I think Mordechai's uh, process was he was originally Israel. He's part of the Sanhedrin. He got um, he got exiled to Babylon. Then came the rebuilding of the temple by Cyrus. So he went back to Israel, and then that stopped. So he went back to Shushan. So you know, whatever, like that. So so he was he he was living in there at that time, but he wasn't originally a Persian uh, uh, native. What's Persia? Per, uh, native? That's Iran, I think. Right, Iran nowadays. So, um, he, where were we? Oh, so the king is going and saying, what's going on with you? What's your nationality? Tell, you gotta tell me. And she says, uh, I'm an orphan. I, I don't have anything. He's like, yeah, right, but what's your nationality? What's your, fine? and she kept on like pushing off the, the, you know, the topic. So he said, you know what? If I get her something to drink, maybe she'll, you know, loosen up a bit. And, but it didn't happen. And then he decided what he's going to do is he's going to do a, uh, uh, for the entire year, nobody has to pay taxes in honor of his celebration of his wedding. The entire world is tax free. Imagine that would happen if Trump, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So um, he he uh, one of the reasons that he did was is that for sure some of her blood relatives are going to be like if the king was willing to do that for the entire you know world that he owns to imagine what he'll do for a blood blood relative. So they'll for sure start speaking up. Be like, yeah, that's why she's my cousin, you know. Uh-huh. So, but nobody came up. And even though the Jews knew that she was she was a she was a Jewish, the Jews still kept their mouth shut because they knew Mordechai said. And not, not to happen. And, uh, um, so they kept it, they kept it, uh, quiet. So, after attempt, failed attempt, after failed attempt, finally, finally Achashayosh goes over to her and says, listen, and he speaks her straight on. He says, I want you to tell me your nationality. So, Esther replies back, tell me about yourself first. So, she, so, uh, Achashayosh says, you know, I'm from royal blood. So she says, I too am from royal blood. So, yeah, but what's your nationality? Where you come from? And she says, permission to speak freely, my dear king. And he says, you know, permission granted. And she says, listen, I don't understand you. Says, you're pressuring me to say something that I obviously don't want to say. So the last time that this happened, your wife was murdered. You know, do you really want to put yourself into that situation again? Rather, trust me and you'll know in due time. When it's, to, when it's a time, I'll let you know. And um, she's like, and then she goes on further and she says, I know it's your advisors that are trying to force you. So Because they were all upset. Like, why did she get it? Not from, you know, our nationality. Maybe the Persian girl should have gotten it. We don't even know where she's from. And you get her to get married. Maybe it's better. So the advisors are pressuring her. Where is she from? Where is she from? And she says, she says, I know the advisors are pressuring you about this. But remember what the advisors did to you. You know, the advice they gave you with Vashti. What happened to Persian background checks? There was, there was no background checks. Yeah. No. The, yeah. So, um, so he... He goes and um, and he goes to uh, Estelle and he says, "Listen, he says, I hear you talk a lot about advisors. Maybe you have a recommendation for an advisor." She says, "In fact, I do. I know Belshazzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. They had Jewish advisors. You know, they had advisor Daniel. 
a very, very amazing advisor. Maybe it's a good idea to find a Jewish sage and put him as a high advisory power. And he's like, he's like, you know, I've heard about, you know, the Jewish sages and the Jewish, Jewish advisors. He says, but do they exist? Are they around anymore? And he says, yes, in fact, there is one. There is a guy by the name of Mordechai here. He's very wise. And the king was very impressed with this recommendation because he knew of Mordechai and he knew how, how uh, wise and smart he was. So he says, uh, you know what? Done. And he goes, and he goes to Mordechai, and Mordechai gets promoted. He gets promoted to one of a, a very high-level advisor. So the king goes over, his first, he invites Mordechai in, gives him the badge, whatever it is that he gets, and then the first thing of advice that he asks him, he says, tell me, I am dying to know what's the nationality of my wife. My wife, give me advice, and how, to, you know, how am I supposed to figure out what's her nationality? So Mordechai says, one answer, jealousy. And he's like, he's like go on. You know? So he says, Make the, make the queen think that you're not happy with her. Bring all the girls back to Shushan. Think of it as a round two. Maybe then she'll feel pressured and she'll tell you. So one of the reasons that Mordechai did this was it was very suspicious that all of a sudden Esther becomes queen. The next day, Mordechai becomes the second thing. And be like, Mordechai, everyone knew these are Jews. Maybe Esther and Mordechai, maybe they're, they're in Kahoot. Maybe, they're, maybe she's really Jewish. So to sort of dispel this, uh, you know, the suspicion, he says, yeah, invite everybody back. Let them all come back, and let's see what happens then. So uh, this made everybody very happy. Haman wanted his daughter. All the other people, they wanted their daughter, their, their thing. So they were very happy now with Mordechai. Mordechai was like, you know, he did good for them. <laughs> so, um, so, so uh, uh, again, he brought all the girls back. It didn't help. He stuck with Esther. Esther kept her guns uh, shut. And, um, but slowly it came out to Achish that Esther lived with Mordechai. Mordechai raised her. So he raised her and she says, you know, yeah, I, I, and she, he presents, he's like, were you raised by Mordechai? She says, yeah, I was, I was raised, I was orphaned by a young age in my, in my country and, uh, I was raised by him. But still, the, even though the clues were there that Esther was Jewish, Achashosh didn't get it. It was like Hashem made it that he wouldn't, he wouldn't understand it. Even, this is the, this is the thing that if there's sometimes that the truth slaps you in your face and you can't see it. If God doesn't want you to see it, you're not gonna see it. So Achashosh didn't know, um, what happened. Okay. Uh, a few more minutes and we'll be done. So, um, the, um, while this, you know, as time progresses, um, there were two advisors by the name of Bixon and Seresh. They were not so happy about, um, this whole situation with, uh, you know, with Estelle being queen and Vashti being murdered. She, they were actually very upset. Vashti was one of her, their relatives, uh, with Bixon and Seresh. So they decided what they were going to do is they were going to do an assassination, uh, uh plot against the king and the queen. They were going to kill them. And one of the reasons what their, their back plan was is that there was another, you know, big country, you know, a big, uh, what at that point, it was Greece. And they said, listen, Greece, you you know, if we go and we take over, you know, uh, and we'll get very strong power if we bring Greece in. So that was their, uh, their, their idea. So they decided that they're going to plot to destroy um, um, And another reason was is that they felt, you know, that it took it into them personally because originally um, what they had as very high power. When Mordechai got promoted, he took their power and they got demoted. They were originally in, uh, in charge of all the king's guards, the king's personal guard, and that 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 uh, title went to Mordechai, and they got demoted to being in charge of guarding uh, the king's apartments, which was you know standing on their feet all day, and they just were not happy with it. So now they also want to get back at Mordechai for taking away this. So they had a whole plan that they were actually going to frame the whole thing on Mordechai. There was a whole thing going in, in uh, um, that they were planning. So. They were, they decided they're gonna plan this. They, they did, they weren't native to, um, to Persia. So their native tongue was Tarsian. And they decided they're going to speak Tarsian and this is how they're going to, uh, um, you know, make their, their, their plot and their plan. What they didn't know is Mordechai comes from the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin is required to know all 70 languages. In order to become part of, one of the reasons is, is that let's say you need to interrogate somebody. If you need to interrogate somebody, you can't use a translator because you're a judge. You can't use a translator because who knows, maybe the translator is changing something. And if it's a life sentence, you have to, the, the Jewish law is very, very meticulous on all these, on all these things. So the, the, every Jewish, uh, person that lived, that was in Sanhedrin had to know all the 70 languages. One of the prerequisites. Think about, you know, you I mean, try to learn Spanish, you know, you're like, una habla español. You know, imagine trying to learn 70 languages. So you can tell you that the, 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 you know, the, the level of wisdom that, that Mordechai had. So Mordechai knew this Tarsian. He knew what it's one of the languages. So he overhears them speaking in this Tarsian and he hears the whole plot. And there is, and there, there's an alaqa that we're supposed to pray for the benefit of our kingdom that we are living in. And he says, if I hear that there is an assassination attempt, I gotta go notify the king. So he goes over and he notifies to Esther and he says, tell her and tell the king in your name about this attempt. So they tell the, the, this to Achashverosh. Achashverosh goes and he quickly sends a dispatch, you know, armies to the, uh, to Bixan and Sarish. And they hear people are coming. They start to, they were trying to poison the king. They, they try to get rid of the poison, but they still found traces of the poison enough to convict them. And they were convicted and they were, mur- they were murdered in public so that everybody could see what happens to somebody who was attempted assassination, uh, to the king. Now, 
Um, Haman was, um, you know, he, he was very close with Bixan and Saresh, and, you know, so he took this personally also. This is where, Morda, because of Mordechai and Esther, they got an assassinate, uh, they, they got to kill Bixan and Saresh. This is where already the, the plot to start exterminating the Jews began. And, um, one of the, uh, when, when Estelle, Said well, after this whole thing happened, Estelle goes and wants it to write written down in the in the book in the king's book that Mordechai should get the reward that it wasn't me Estelle but rather it was it was Mordechai, and she went and and she had it written down that it was done by the hand of Mordechai, and Bezalel Hashem will continue next week with um, hopefully hopefully we'll be able to do the the we'll stop here for for the story and we'll hopefully we'll continue it with uh, next week with part two I'm hoping to do it in two parts maximum three but I'm hoping to do it in in two parts any questions? Yeah. Um, so. Mordechai told told Esther to tell the king in her name that it wasn't him. Why? Oh, I, he, I, maybe he wanted to put her razor up in, in his eyes, you know, so that he's I don't know whatever. He felt that uh, that was uh, better for her. But she did the opposite. She did it in his name, and we'll soon right. see. It's going to make it's that's going to be the whole foundation of the whole poem story. Yeah. yeah. Is it true that she she was never like with a Hashverosh? Oh, I was hoping that question wouldn't be asked. Um, uh, no, 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 but it's good that you asked it. So there's um, there there is um, first of all they had a baby together. Oh. So which we'll soon see. I don't want to give any spoiler alert. Yeah. So, um, but um, most of the she, every every time except for once we'll soon see she was uh, with him not by her choice. Uh-huh. And she was cock or whatever. There's other saying. Maybe we'll speak about it a little bit. We'll bring about it. But uh, yeah, there's other opinions that she sent. You know, certain. Uh, you know, she was able to um, get people from the dark side to help her out in that situation. Whatever. Uh, maybe we'll speak about it at that point. The, the shadim, the demons. Um, so um, I don't know. We'll see if we'll, how much we'll bring it up. Any other questions? No questions. All right. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.